Well, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to take them out, turn your devices on, if that's how you're interacting with Scripture, and find Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7. And while you're doing that, if you're new to your Bibles, it's just a little bit past the middle. Um, We're in a series called The Hopes and Fears of All the Years, and we are kind of talking about some of the fears that we have uh, as people and, and how Jesus meets every single one of them. And now I know that God wired our bodies with the ability to sense fear. And so all fear is not bad. We're not trying to make that particular statement. Some fears are, are healthy. I remember, oh, this was back in the 80s, maybe, hmm, a few years ago. I don't think my mom and dad know that this story, so they'll learn something here this morning. Um, my friend Steve and I, we would often explore the empty lots across from my house, and much of the area was, was, the, was exposed bedrock, and forest had grown up around it, and for young boys, it was a fantastic place to explore and build forts. Well, there was lumber laying around the community. His dad was working on some projects, I think, and so we had hauled a bit of lumber and some big beams up, and we were going to make this, we were going for the two-story version of the fort. Well, you know, builders as we were not, um, we didn't have any architectural drawings to tell us how to do this. We were just going to slap it together. We had hammers and nails, and so we were, we were putting this, it was probably an eight-foot-tall beam into place, probably a four-by-four. Four. And so Steve was up on the second level, and he was holding the beam in place, and, well, my hammer was just out of reach. And he said, oh, don't worry, I'll hold it. So I went over to reach my hammer. I turned around, and the beam is coming straight from my forehead. And my fear instinct kicked in, and in this flash of a second, I figured it would be better to step closer to the beam than it would be to step backwards, because it would have less force when it hit me. There was like a cliff to the side, so I couldn't step to the side. I know some of you are thinking, well, why don't you just... Couldn't do that. So I stepped closer to the beam, and it whacked me right, right in the head. It hurt bad. Some of you are saying, yeah, that's what happened to you. (laughs) I get it. So the beam hits me square in the forehead, falls to the side, and neither of us, I don't think, recognized that there was a spike this long that it was through the four by four. And if I had stepped back, it would have, the spike would have hit me right in the forehead. So my fear instinct, I think, saved me from a lot of pain, and maybe my life, by moving closer to it. So we're not trying to say in this series that all of our fears are a bad thing. Some of them are really good because we get an intuition 
Uh, we have a sense about some things that helps protect us. What we're trying to talk about uh, over these weeks um, are our fears and worries and anxieties. I, I know some of you don't like those words. They're uncomfortable words. Some of you would prefer to say concerns. That, that's okay. Whatever language that you choose to adopt in talking about these sorts of things, um, they all fit in the same category. And these are the things that work their way inside us, and they start to distract us from uh, trusting God in, in the details of, of our lives. And when, when we are gripped or wrapped up in concerns or fears or anxieties, then I think we're a little less fully devoted followers of Jesus than we could be. And I really like how theologian, pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes about fear and anxiety this way. And this is the, these are the kinds of things that, that we're trying to address or talk about in this series. He says, fear... It crouches in people's hearts. It hollows out their insides until their resistance and strength are spent and they suddenly break down. Fear secretly gnaws and eats away at all the ties that bind a person to God and to others. And when in a time of need that person reaches for those ties and clings to them, they break and the individual sinks back into himself or herself, helpless and despairing. I think that we all have experienced something like that that causes us to retreat back into ourselves, or causes us to step back from relationship with other people because of an anxiety or a worry. That's just the tendency that some humans have is when things get difficult, uh, I'm just going to check out for a little bit because nobody else needs to, you know, you don't need to bear that burden for me. I, I can handle it on my own. And so I've been thinking about this survey that I asked you to, to fill out for me a few weeks back. And, and so I've, I've been looking at those results and a few times a week I'll, I'll come in and, and just stand in here. And, and read the wall, because that's kind of where we're at. It's how we, we feel. But I, I wanted to, last week, Ken, you know, while I was preaching, he came up, and, and he erased the word hope in it. That's intentional, because hope is greater than all of those things. And the way it's laid out, the cross stands above it all. The cross wins over all of those things. And yes, they're heavy, and they're hard to look at, sitting out there, staring at this, but I want you to notice the two main pieces are the cross, above it all, and the hope that comes out of all of them. And, and so, today we're looking at a collection of some of our fears and worries uh, over the things that I've put into the category called... Um, resources, finances, 
health, other things can, you can put into that category. Um, we're not really afraid of those things. We're not, you know, afraid of money necessarily or afraid of uh, good health per se. Um, what we're worried and concerned about, what we fear is when we think we don't have enough of money or my health is in decline or we don't, uh, we don't have enough now in the present or we don't think that we have enough uh, saved away for the future and it, it causes us to act in different ways or maybe we worry and we fret and think about it more than we need to. We have this recognition that our resources at some point are designed, they're consumables, so they're, at some point they're going to run out, and so the process by which we try to figure out how much we're going to need or think about those things, that, that's the fear, the worry, the anxiety that, that we're talking about. For some of you, it's declining health that forces you to reevaluate your plans. Um, for some, it's more financial in nature, not, not having enough right now to pay this month's bills. For some, it might be concern about the future. I'm not sure if I have enough saved away. So for some of you, it's trying to figure out the whole retirement thing. What's that look like? How am I going to be cared for? And these are the places that we travel. This is, this is what's going on in the lives of the people that you're sitting in the rows with right now. Um, so 35% of us collectively signaled that you had worry about money of some sort, whether it's now or, or later, 35%. Uh, 28% of us said that we're worried about our health. We're worried about it diminishing throughout the years. And 17% of us said that, that we have some sort of anxiety, uh, you know, worry over uh, aging and facing retirement. 13% of us uh, are concerned about jobs or potential unemployment. I wanted to read you a couple of the things that, that were written down. I, um, I don't feel like I have any financial security. My health is getting worse. I don't think I'll ever be able to retire. I don't have any savings. I don't have a retirement fund. I'm not sure I'll have enough to live on, and I don't have family to help me. I don't have enough food to eat right now. I'm unable to do things that I used to be able to do. That, that one, that phrase, almost identical five or six times. I feel like I am less than capable of taking care of things. I feel like I have a diminished ability to learn. We're facing bankruptcy. My student loan payments are due, and I'm still in need of a job. We fight about money all the time. I feel like a financial failure, a loser who can't provide for my family. Debt. Our bills are piling up. My health doesn't allow me to work any longer. My job doesn't seem very secure. Do you feel the weight of that? That's heavy stuff. That fills your prayer list for an entire week. And I dare say that if we're all honest, we've 
had experiences where we've felt threatened or uneasy about the loss of, of something, whether it's financial or physical. And at some point, you're going to face a situation kind of like this, something that's beyond your control, something that, that's unwelcome, something that causes you to rearrange your life, rearrange your priorities. Remember last week I talked about um, the hippocampus portion of your brain. That it's the part of your brain that stores memories of the things that threaten you. Um, so four by four falling beams with a spike through them is deeply ingrained in my hippocampus because I remember that. And if I ever come across a four by four, I always nah, I'm teasing. But it's in there. I remember that story. I remember what the air smelled like. I remember what it sounded like when it thudded off my head. I remember the look on my friend Steve's face like, oh my goodness. Um, things that threaten us get deeply ingrained in our, our memories. And Some of you here grew up in homes where the pressure came from not having enough money. Um, and deep grooves were made in, in your memories. And uh, you just remember constant griping or, or bickering over every dime that was spent in the household. Wondering every month if, if you were going to have enough to live. Some of you have had a traumatic health experience. Maybe it's something that's lingering, maybe it was an accident, but something caused you to change your life, and it's something that threatens you, and, and so it's deeply ingrained in, in your memory. For some of you, it's uh, the loss of a job or some other financial disaster. We have memories of losing things like this, of, of looking at the resources that God has given us and, and coming to the conclusion that they are diminishing and starting to worry about it. So, last Sunday I also told you about three basic fears that, that all the fears we have kind of trace their roots uh, back into parts of human anxiety. And, and all, all of our fears rooted in, in either, um, one, a recognition that we are finite, that we are mortal, that uh, we are vulnerable. Um, two, uh, a fear of emptiness or life just not having any meaning anymore. And, um, and then three is a fear of rejection or being condemned. Um, you haven't, your life hasn't turned out how you thought it would, for example, and you fear or there's an anxiety in you that uh, you believe other people are judging you because your life didn't turn out how you wanted to. So there's this fear of being condemned or, or being rejected. And so the fears that we're talking about today, diminishing resources, they have their roots really in, in some ways in, in all three of these. Some of, you, some of you wrote about not having enough money to survive, um, not being able to provide for your family. Um, some of this anxiety comes from realizing that even in a wealthy nation like the one we live in, survival isn't automatic. And so you've come to that recognition and it 
bothers you at some level. Some of you wrote about uh, an emptiness. You've lost something. Your wealth, your health is gone or it's declining. Uh, maybe debt has you in its grasp and, um, or maybe going through the, the cancer treatment or other treatment for your medical issue is just wearing you out. And, and somehow you get to this point and, and you just start to get numb to it all. And you think, what's the, what's the point of all of this? Some of you fear rejection. You haven't achieved what you thought, and, and you feel like a failure, and that, that others look at you and think less of you. So the f- fear of diminishing resources, the loss of, of things, really can trace their roots back to all three of those categories. Uh, our, our human response is to fear is either to fight or to flee, fight or flight instinct that we have. And we either, we either brace ourselves for the blow, and when, when, when the blow happens, we just swing back with all we have and, and try and punch at it. Um, or maybe, maybe your response mechanism, your, your fight instinct is maybe you just laugh. You may just laugh it off, pretend that it doesn't uh, exist, or, you know, um, and then some of us flee. You know, we we'd step back or we try and sweep the issue under the rug and pretend like it, it doesn't exist. And, um, and the world will give you plenty of advice out there. We talked a little bit about that. And basically, the world tells you to suck it up and face your fears. You might get a little bit of a pep talk. You know, hey, come on, you can, you can do it. Put a smile on your face and going to be all right, and maybe you get a little fist bump as you go out to face your fear. Um, but the main message is that the solution for any of these things comes from deep within you, that you control all of it. And, and I, I really have a problem with that, because if one of our basic fears is that we're all terminal, if, if one of our basic fears is that we're mortal, that we're temporary, that that we're going to return to the dust from whence we came, then there really isn't anything that we can do to make this human anxiety go away altogether. Our hope, our center, has to be found in something outside of ourselves. Our foundation is not deep within. Our foundation is the cross. Our foundation is Jesus. And so, The challenge is to articulate hope for us. Because those first few minutes there, when when we sit and we stare at what we're afraid of or what we're anxious about or worrying about, when you hear what other people wrote, it, it just, it weighs you down a little bit. So what is the hope for us today? That's really the main question. And as I was studying for this uh, Advent season, I was, I was reading through what's called the lectionary texts. And so in, in the life of the church, in the history of the church, um, there are three seasons or three years of readings that uh, are put together to help guide churches through the Bible over the span of 
uh, three years. And there's four readings that are assigned to each Sunday. And so I look at those frequently, and, and many times our series, our messages are, are kind of loosely based around the lectionary texts. And so every Advent season, I, I go back to that. And we're in what's called year A. I know, really creative and imaginative. We're in year A. It just started uh, last week. And uh, one of the texts for Advent this year comes from the book of Isaiah. I was searching for texts where God's people were found to, to be in a place of threat, where their life, their existence, their livelihood was threatened, uh, and they, they had this huge challenge before them that they were in a spot where they really felt vulnerable and uh, a place where they weren't able to secure their own future. And one of the readings for, for this year fit that almost perfectly. I know there's a lot of them in the Bible, but this one is in Isaiah 7. So you're, you're already there in your Bible. And, and I just want to give you a little synopsis. I'm going to read verses 10 through 16 in a minute here, but you kind of have to have the backstory. You kind of have to have a little history lesson so that the story we're going to read makes sense. So in verses 1 through 9, there's, there's a few characters that you need to know about. So there's King Ahaz. Now this happened during a time when uh, Israel was split into two pieces. And we've talked about this before. There was a, there was a time when the monarchy, the, the, the land was divided into two. And so you had, you had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. And the king of Judah, the, the southern portion of Israel, his name was, was Ahaz. So you need to know that. This is Ahaz, and we're talking mostly about Ahaz this morning. And then, um, and then you had the king of that northern kingdom of what was still known as Israel, and his name was Pekah. All right, so you have Ahaz, king of the south, and you had Pekah, who was king of the north, and then you had uh, King Rezin is his name. And he was, in your Bibles, it probably says that he was the ruler of Aram. Or maybe you would, maybe it would make more connection if you said Syria. Same thing. Uh, so you have Ahaz, you got Pekah, you have Rezin, and then you have, well, this, is, this is, should be on the baby list name every year. His name is Tiglath-Pileser. He was the, the ruler, the emperor of the Assyrian Empire. And, uh, and then you have the prophet Isaiah. And so all of this is happening about the year in the like 734-ish B.C. And so this is how that comes together. So Tiglath-Pileser, uh, emperor of this, this huge Assyrian empire, which is beyond the Euphrates River. So this is north and east of Israel. He comes to power, and one of the first things that he starts doing, he starts systematically swallowing up all of the small nation states around his big empire. And so he crosses the Euphrates, and, and he takes care of um, the northern kingdom, Israel, and Aram, or Syria, okay? So Pekah and Rezin are now 
um, subjects of the Assyrian Empire, and they are required to pay taxes to Tiglath-Pileser. Now, they didn't like paying taxes to the man. So they joined together, and they wanted to resist the man, and so they, they want and they know that they cannot resist unless they have Ahaz on, on board. So they start attacking the southern kingdom, Judah. And for a long time, um, Ahaz and the people of Judah were able to turn away the resistance or the, the attack from the northern kingdom and from Syria. And so uh, they, they confront Ahaz and say, you know what, if, um, if you continue to risk, we're just going to try harder, we're going to overthrow you, and we're going to we're going to put in place a puppet king who's going to go along with our regime to try and attack and turn away the Assyrian Empire. So that's all going on in, in verses 1 through 9. Uh, now, if you think about it, Ahaz has nothing to gain from all of this. He's not paying taxes to anybody. His kingdom's doing a little, he's doing just fine. Right now, he's able to resist uh, Pekka and Rezin and keep their armies at bay. So, you know, I don't want to say life is good, but he does not really, he doesn't have anything to gain. Why would I want to turn and attack the huge empire and, and risk that? Um, so Ahaz has a couple options here. One, align with these guys and go against the, super the superpower, and so likely you're going to face extreme war. Option number two is refuse and continue to be attacked by the neighboring states. That don't, those don't sound like really good options. If I'm choosing those off a list, I'm thinking, is there an option C? Well, A has thought he had a plan, or he has a plan. He's a sharp guy, and he's in his 20s. And so, you know, young men, when we're in our 20s, you know, hey, we, you know, we can just take on the world, and the plans that we have, you know what, they're going to work out. That's, I mean, that's how, that's, I remember thinking like that when, when I was 20. Um, and so, his, his the, the idea he has is, I'm going to do an end around. I figured this way out. I'm going to go directly to Tiglath-Pileser, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tattle on Pekka and Rezin, and I'm going to tell Tiglath-Pileser all of their grandiose plans to try and, you know, keep him at bay and to attack him. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer him to pay a little bit of taxes so that he will allow his armies to protect my country. So Ahaz, his grand plan is to go to the emperor of the big enemy, the one really who wants to see them destroyed. Because what, what the emperor of the Assyrian uh, uh, empire really wanted was access to Egypt. And so by virtue of their geography, they were in the way. So Ahaz thinks that, well, if I... I pay a little taxes, and I tell on these people that he's going to protect me. So he's, it's a little bit of a flawed plan, but that's what he thinks is going to work. But God had a different idea. And so God sends the prophet 
Isaiah to Ahaz to talk about it. Now, as a prophet of God, as the mouthpiece, the, the voice, the very words of God, Isaiah had a picture, and he knew, he knew that God wasn't pleased with Judah. God wasn't pleased with how Ahaz was running the show. He wasn't pleased with how the people had, had all but turned their backs on him completely. Part, part of uh, Ahaz's plan to bribe Tiglath-Pileser, he took all the silver and the gold out of the temple of the Lord, sent it as a gift to Tiglath-Pileser. While his negotiators were up there, he had them, you know, if they had, if they had phones like this, they, they were snapping pictures of the altar to the pagan god in the Assyrian Empire, and they were texting the pictures back to Ahaz, and he was sending those pictures on to his architect, and he says, you know what, we need to build one of these. And they built an altar to the Assyrian god right in the temple. Isaiah knew that God really wasn't happy about all that. And he knew that at some point God's judgment was going to hit and that there were going to be natural consequences to their behavior. He knew that. But he also knew, he also had that promise of God that there would be a remnant. There would be a people who would be restored and renewed and brought back into the land so that God's promise would be fulfilled. So Isaiah, he goes out to meet the king, Ahaz. And Ahaz is out inspecting the water system of the city. Now, you need to know something about Jerusalem. Jerusalem did not have a natural spring within its city walls. So they had this aqueduct system that carried water from the spring, which was outside the city walls, back into the city. And so that's where the city got its water supply. So Ahaz was out looking at this whole system, and he's worried sick about their resources. Because when your enemy attacks, you have to be concerned about these kinds of things. Because if the enemy attacked and they cut off your water supply, well, it's only going to be a matter of time before you come out with that little white flag or you die. So Ahaz is out there worried sick. And in fact, the text says that he is shaking like a tree in the wind. So if, imagine standing over on the coast when those gale forces come in and, you, you know, it kind of blows you back a little bit. That's what the fear that Ahaz had inside about looking at all of the city's resources that's how he felt. He was shaking like a tree in the wind. He had no security. He was facing severe economic loss. There was political instability. He can't himself provide for all of his people. His resources are inadequate to the challenges that he is facing. You ever been there? Yeah. We kind of blow around like the trees in the wind. In uh, verses 3 and 4, Isaiah tells Ahaz to stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to save yourself. Listen. 
be quiet. Do not fear. Trust God. Don't join forces with Syria and Israel. Don't make that end around and go and align yourself with the empire. Wait. Let God do what God will do. Verse 9, because if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. But Ahaz, (laughs) he's got his mind set on taking care of things on his own. I got this, Isaiah. I'm the king, you know. I got a plan. So he does this negotiation with Tiglath Pileser and starts to unravel and gets Israel to um, Judah to the point where, where they are going to be run over. He's actually making this appeal to something that's a much greater threat than what he's currently facing. But he thinks that he's wise and can negotiate his way out. He, he's, he set his mind to come up with his own salvation. You know, trusting God is really hard when the world seems to be pressing in on us and crumbling down all around us. See, when we waver to any, to any degree, when we waver, shake like a tree, and it causes us to question our trust or our faith in God, that's the moment that we face where it's, it's often easier to place our trust in other things of our own controlling. So that's the moment when, when, our, when we're shaken like a tree and, and we begin to waver and we, we're not sure if God's plan is going to work. That's the moment where we're all at risk of coming over to the empire and saying, what do, you, what do you got for me? I, I can offer you this. Will you protect me? And we start to build these altars to the gods of the pagan empire. See, sometimes the first tendency that we have is to overestimate the things that threaten us and underestimate the power of God. And so we move to preserve ourselves. We move to cut our own losses. But oftentimes our short-term panic will lead to long-term foolishness. And we attach ourselves to tiglath Pileser for help, but he's the one who's out there and he's trying to run us over and he's trying to enslave us. That's his, that's his goal. So we buy into these things that aren't ultimately going to save us. They're going to run us into the ground. Why? That's a good question. Because, because underneath it all, underneath the fear that we have of the things that are in the present, in the immediate, the thing that's pressing in on us right now, uh, the things, that, the, the resources that we have that seem to be slipping away from us, underneath the fear of watching those resources diminish is the fear of losing control. The, the fear of it comes down to an ego issue. And, and so we, we 
sense that control is slipping away from us and we do things that make us feel like we're more in control of the situation. We scurry around frantically trying to do stuff. But li listen. Listen. That's the place where God wants to meet you. That's the place where God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to meet you in the place when you admit that you can't save yourself. He wants to meet you exactly in the place where you humble yourself before him. He wants to meet you in the place where any mirage that you might have um, of being in control, he wants to meet you in the place where that vanishes. God meets us in our fears. The hopes and fears of all the years come together at the point of Jesus. But, but how can we know? I guess that, that's a question that that remains on the table. How can we know that God will meet us there? The verses that I, that I want to read to you talk about a second meeting or the continuation of a meeting that Isaiah has with Ahaz. And it tells us the answer to that question. It tells us that God will meet us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as the grave or as high as the heavens. Don't you like that language? Ask for a sign from God and you can ask for anything that you want from the deepest depths of the grave to the highest of heavens. Anything in between that you can ask for anything and I'll show it to you. Wow. Wow. But Ahaz said, I won't ask. I won't test the Lord. I won't put the Lord my God to the test. Then Isaiah said, listen, house of David, isn't it enough for you to be tiresome for people that you are also tiresome before my God? Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman over there is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. He will eat butter and honey and learn to reject evil and choose good. Before the boy learns to reject evil and choose good, the land of the two kings that you dread right now will be abandoned. In other words, the threat will disappear before this young boy is able to eat solid food. Hmm. Can you picture this conversation? I, I like doing that mental imagery in my mind, just blocking it out and imagining this conversation happen. And, and so Isaiah says to Ahaz, hey, anything you want, ask God for a sign to bolster your trust, to bolster your faith. And Ahaz says, no, on account that it was uh, dangerous to put God to the test and demand signs that he prove himself. And Isaiah, Isaiah just said, he's the mouthpiece of God. Hey, ask God for a sign. And Ahaz says, no. So I imagine Isaiah knocking on Ahaz's forehead. Hello, 
Anybody home? Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Ask God for a sign. And Ahaz, he's just stubborn and resistant. No, I won't do it. I, I won't. Hmm. Maybe he had his mind made up. Maybe we don't want to ask God for signs because we're afraid that He's going to ask us to stand kind of exposed and naked before our fears. See, it's easier to scurry around and do stuff, you know, frantic activity to try and save ourselves than it is to stand there with God in front of our fear. Isaiah tells Ahaz, listen to God. Listen. Let him reveal to you how you should proceed through this. But Ahaz says, no. So Isaiah says, well, you know what, buddy? God's going to give you a sign anyway. Whether you want it or not, you're getting a sign. You know, I think, have you ever, have you ever won a sign? You know? I, I, signs would be good once in a while. God, what do you want me to do? Just, you know, kind of spell it out on the street corner, that would be really nice. And if we're talking about diminishing resources here, uh, you know what? It'd be nice for some of us if you go down the street and it says, find a job in here with flashing lights, right? We want to see that sign. We, we want to see a sign that says, visit this particular doctor, try this particular prescription. We want to see the sign that says, stay away from that investment, we want another sign over here that says, hey, you should invest everything in this. That's the kind of sign that we want, but there's a problem with those kinds of signs. As awesome as they would be, that's not really about knowing God. That's about God giving you stuff. And see, God desires relationship. God desires to give you His presence to be with you, to be with you, to face all of the troubles that might come your way, to be there with you through worry, through anxiety, through uncertainty. All throughout the Bible, God comes to us, to the people in the Scriptures, and He says, fear not. Why? Because I am with you. That's the answer. So what's the sign? So the sign is a young woman who is going to have a baby boy. And before this child is old enough to eat solid foods, Israel and Syria will be laid to waste. And it's a sign of salvation. It's a sign of, of rescue. Um, Ahaz, can you wait long enough for a baby to be weaned and onto solid foods? Can you wait that long on the Lord to see if he will rescue you? No. The sign shows that the impending threat on Judah is only temporary. The circumstances that you and I face aren't going to last forever. Isaiah tells Ahaz, that he can't gauge his whole existence on what looks threatening in the present. See, belief in God uh, leads us to act out, to act our faith out, to act in trust that, that anything that we face in the present is just an itty-bitty blip on the radar of an eternity with him. 
Yes, it's hard. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, we're gripped with much of what's on the wall at any given time. But they're all only temporary. And God's sign for you and for me as well is the same sign of a son. Matthew picks up on the language. Chapter 1, verse 23 of Matthew. He, he, he uses Isaiah's language to talk about the birth of Jesus. Behold, virgin will conceive and give birth. And will fulfill that prophecy of Isaiah way back when. And that person we know as Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us is what we celebrate these weeks that we long for during these weeks of, of Advent. It's a symbol. It symbolizes God's very real and active presence and protection during times of anxiety and, and fear. And I remember, we're, we weren't going to unpack this this morning, but I remember this Jesus during his ministry, he grew up and he gathered some disciples who were his followers around him and he preached a sermon once in a while. Some of them were really long. One of them was called the Sermon on the Mount. You find it in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. I think it's Matthew 6. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. It's a way of saying, you know, don't worry about the resources that we're trained to worry about in this life. Don't, don't worry about those things. God knows you need all of them. And He will attend to those needs in His time. What I want you to do more than anything else is seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will find their rightful place in your life. So this son, the sign of, of a son, this Emmanuel, this God with us, gives those words of instruction. Don't worry. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. I see what you need. But sink into trusting me with these details, because I know you need them. What I want more than anything else is for you to seek my kingdom first and my righteousness. And all those other things, they'll find their way in there as well. So we get to a point in a message like this, and you, you have a choice. You really do. You, you, can, you can live in fear, you can live a life scurrying around frantically trying to attend to all the things that you worry about. You, you can spend a lot of time and energy trying to secure your future, whether it's health or wealth or what, whatever it is. There's a lot of stuff out there that tells you that they have the right answer. There are a lot of Tiglath, Pileser, Assyrian Empire types of things out there. You, you, 
You can choose to live that way. Or you can begin to start picking some of those things up, maybe even one at a time, and, and laying them over to the side. And maybe you don't even get it all the way to the side. Maybe you're still hanging on to it, but Lord, please help me to trust you more. I, I want to release the grip of, of my worry. You can find this hope in Jesus that he will help you with that, that his presence is, is with you. And, and my prayer for all of us is that we would find that his presence is enough. The hope of Advent is that God is with you in the middle of all of your circumstances so that you need not fear what the world fears. You can simply sink and rest in your faith and trust in God Almighty. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.